You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The Born Identity, which came out in 2002 and was directed by Doug Lyman. We can't stay here. It's not safe. Out of control. It's very clear what needs to happen. Based on the international bestseller. I don't want to know who I am anymore. From Universal Pictures. You got to get as far away from me as you can. What are you gonna do? Danger. I have everything they put inside me. Is everything I ever learned. All of it. Born. I'm gonna make it stop. Identity. It stars Matt Damon, Franca Patente, Chris Cooper, Brian Cox, Julia Stiles, Adewale Akinyoy Akbaj, and Clive Owen. The genre would be spy action thriller. The movie kicks off with Matt Damon's Jason Bourne being found floating in the Mediterranean with several bullet holes in his back. He is rescued by an Italian fishing vessel and a kindly sailor who helps nurse him back to health. Once he recovers, however, Bourne realizes that he still cannot remember who he is. He just knows that he was shot multiple times before almost drowning with nothing to reveal who he was besides a bank account number projected by a small device which was planted in his hip. Once the boat docks off the coast of Italy, our amnesiac hero then embarks on finding out who he is, hence the born identity. What the hell are you doing to me? What are you doing? God damn it, where am I? Boat. A fishing boat. You were in the water. We pulled you out. What water? You were shot. See, they are the bullets. Look, there is a number for a bank. Why was it in your hip? Why was it in your hip? Yeah, in your hip, under the skin. Oh, God. You need to rest. Franca Potente co-stars as Marie, a Northern European drifter whom he encounters while he's on the run. Damon and Patente's scenes together are the heart of this movie. It's Bourne who is trying to figure out who he is, but we see as much of Marie trying to figure out how she wants to fit into this. On paper, she's playing a typical action love interest, but Patente brought something very unique to this. It's mostly conveyed with a lot of well-shot pensive looks on her face as John Powell's breezy synth score plays in the background. Whether we know what she's thinking, it's still the look of someone who has experienced some strange things herself. We're intrigued to find out what she brings to the table with Bourne's journey. I'm still kind of bummed that she couldn't contribute her charms to future installments, and though the other Bourne films are all good, they were all missing this key ingredient in retrospect. What happened? Uh, did, did something go wrong? What? I've got the records. This guy at the front desk was smiling at me, so I thought, you know, all this trouble, maybe it's easier to just ask for them. You have the bill? Maybe a photocopy. You just asked for it? I said I was Mr. Kane's personal assistant. Oh. Okay. Good thinking. The action sequences are taut and clever and quick. 
Damon really does pull off the physical aspects of this role effectively. He's a convincing action hero, but even more so because you believe it when he's surprised with some of the things that he can do. It's a weird coincidence that this came out just about a month after Spider-Man in 2002, but watching Bourne discover his, quote, powers was actually more thrilling than anything we saw Peter Parker do on a rooftop in that movie. The supporting cast also really shines. Clive Owen, Brian Cox, and Chris Cooper all seem somewhat overqualified for the limited roles that they are given, but they are each genuinely entertaining to watch. Just watching Cooper do his own office-bound, desktop pit version of Lieutenant Gerard from The Fugitive, with the camera circling all around him, it's a blast to watch, and it makes those scenes of folks just talking about Jason Bourne almost as entertaining as the scenes featuring Bourne himself. All right, go. Keep going. Go. There. Wait. No, it's got to be near the end. Oh, come on, folks. We caught a break here. Let's go. Okay, I'm up. We're getting grids. This is 38 minutes ago. Hey, certain police are looking for an American man carrying a red bank bag. He just tore up the embassy and he put two cops in the hospital last night. Get everybody up. Do it now. I want them all activated. Wait, all of them at the same time? You heard me. I want born in a body bag by sundown. All right, let's get a map up here. Come on, folks. Every sequence works in this movie. There are literally no bad scenes. Yes, the whole Wombosi subplot doesn't really go anywhere we weren't expecting, but it never wears out its welcome, and it gives us just enough to move the story forward. Not least of all, with that flashback scene on the boat. It actually gives us a much better Martha moment than we would see in Batman v Superman 14 years later. Sorry, Snyder fans, just my opinion. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Considering that this came out amidst the pop music dark ages of the early 2000s, The Born Identity has a surprisingly strong soundtrack. Yes, it was a pretty sad time for film soundtracks when new metal and our watered-down grunge slash aggro rock was being shoehorned into the soundtrack of every major movie, from Limp Bizkit giving us their spin of the Mission Impossible theme for MI2, to the first Spider-Man movie closing out with <coughs> Nickelback, playing over the end credits. Fortunately, the first Bourne soundtrack has none of that. It includes a few well-chosen techno songs, along with a synth score from composer John Powell, which is both propulsive and elegant. Among the standouts is some soothing traveling music from Powell's score featuring a mid-tempo beat coming from xylophones as we hear a mixture of strings and piano playing over it. We hear this during Jason and Marie's drive to Paris, and the track is called, fittingly, Born on Land. Another highlight is a catchy techno song from British trance DJ and electronic music legend Paul Oakenfold. The song is called Ready Steady Go. It plays over an intense car chase along the Seine River in the middle of Paris as Jason, with Marie, tries to evade authorities. 
Pretty exciting fast-paced music to hear over a car chase, and it fits the scene perfectly. But I'm sure for myself and many others, the top needle drop has to be the song which kicks off the end credits for this movie, and every other Bourne movie since then. Extreme Ways by Moby, from his sixth studio album released the same year, 18. To start, the song has a distinct pair of repeating opening notes, which are just unmistakable. They are basically electronically altered violins, which sound as if they are letting off a war cry, or even setting off an alarm. It's a nice way to alert you that this chapter of the Bourne saga has concluded, and that Jason Bourne will, of course, return. And what follows is a high-energy electronic rock ditty actually featuring the vocals of Richard Melville Hall himself. This song has become known as the official theme music for Jason Bourne. Not bad. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. In the early 2000s, there were few up-and-coming actors who had me more excited to see their next project than Clive Owen. After seeing his breakout performance in 2000's Croupier, I was just all in for him to take on the role of James Bond. The dude just had the right mix of charm, danger, and swagger, and he looked good in a suit, of course. Well, Daniel Craig eventually took over that role for Casino Royale, and even though that turned out very well, I always felt like Owen never got the big-time spy role that he just seemed ideal for. But the closest that Owen ever came to playing an actual clandestine agent or, quote, asset of some sort was as the Professor, one of the sleeper Treadstone agents who's activated to take out Jason Bourne in this movie. And he's really quite good, even with minimal dialogue and in only two scenes. Hey, this was Damon's movie. Cool, I get it. He's the hero, and he does a great job. But why did they have to kill off the professor after his first and only face-off with Bourne in that forest? I mean, you have an actor the caliber of Owen. Why not keep him around as a rival asset who's playing cat and mouse with Bourne? Considering that the producers and the studio eventually tried to expand this universe further with the legacy spinoff that starred Jeremy Renner and the eventual TV show Treadstone, it just always felt like such a missed opportunity that they dispensed with Owen and his professor character so quickly in the first movie. We always work a lot. Who me? Who are you, Brian? Paris? Treadstone. Both of us. Treadstone? Which one? Paris. I live in Paris. Did you get the headaches? Yeah. I get such bad headaches. You know, at night when you drive in a car. I don't know, maybe it's something to do with the headlights. What is Treadstone? Treadstone said pills. They said, go to Paris. Is Treadstone in Paris? Look at this. 
Look at what I might you give. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes the movie. There are at least seven standout action-slash-suspense set pieces within this movie. So it's hard to narrow this category down, so I'll just keep it to two. Just two. If I had to pick one action sequence which really stood out to me, it would actually be early in this film when Bourne goes to a local embassy and gets spotted waiting in line. It all kicks off with the line uttered by the head of security while in the middle of a crowded lobby. You! Red bag! The red bag! Stop right there! Put your hands up! We see Bourne just stand there calmly, holding up both arms, including one with the red bag, while scanning around him. He's surrounded by two armed guards plus that security officer. All is calm and quiet. And then, whoosh, we see him seemingly disarm and put each of them down, in what seems to be one fluid motion, no less. It's damn impressive. Powell's score then kicks in, and we see a mini montage of a small army of security personnel arming themselves, and then scattering around the embassy as we hear alarms blaring. And what do we see Bourne doing during all this? He's not running, he's walking calmly and quickly through the hallways, using an evacuation map that he grabbed off of the wall, along with one radio that he nabbed from one of the security guys, simply just trying to find the quickest way out without drawing attention to himself. This is just an example of the rare action sequence, which is quite exciting despite minimal actual fighting, no gunplay, and zero body count. The other standout sequence comes just a bit later in the movie, after Jason has met Marie, and they are now on the road to Paris. They stop at a roadside diner and have an interesting exchange when Jason examines his current state in trying to figure out who he was before he contracted amnesia at the opening of the movie. It's a short conversation, but it does a very effective job of character building. I come in here, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sidelines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign, too. I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? The final category would be MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. As tempting as it is to choose Matt Damon, it has to be the director, Doug Liman, for directing a perfect prototype for action movies over the next two decades. Liman just made so many offbeat choices with regards to casting, shot selection, and pacing, and it all came together to result in an action movie with an ideal balance between spectacle, mystery, and character development. Just as a prime example, that late face-off in the woods between Damon and Clive Owen's assassin, that was a sequence that Lyman had to fight the studio and the producers at the time to both film and preserve for the final cut. It's just not your typical set piece, as it's very quiet, and it actually helps build sympathy for someone who our protagonist is facing off against. But it's acted and shot just exquisitely, to give the audience a real sense of the type of, quote, asset that Bourne was programmed into becoming and the context of the world within which that was happening. Just so many grace notes like that, which are orchestrated by Lyman, which help elevate the Bourne identity above your typical action film. 
Since his breakout debut with Swingers 26 years ago, former episode, by the way, check that out, Doug Liman has become one of the more underrated genre filmmakers out there, but has also built up a reputation for being quite demanding with studios, always pushing for more takes and more scenes during production. With a few exceptions, I can say that his efforts have resulted in very strong movies. The Bourne Identity is a prime example of that, and for that reason, he is the MVP. You know, I had a lot of battles with the studio because, you know, they were trying to make it more conventional than I wanted to make it. And, you know, the, and I was trying a lot of ideas out and, and Stacy Snyder was running Universal used to yell at me that this wasn't my $50 million film school and I'd fire back. And, you know, of course it is. Like, I've made, I made a $200,000 movie. Like, you really think I know how to make a $50 million action film? I'm learning. <laughs> my rating for The Born Identity would be five stars out of five. Almost 20 years after it was first released, The Bourne Identity remains a seminal movie for not only the action genre, but spy thrillers as well. And if you're looking to watch The Bourne Identity, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another Born Again review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.